Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me, celebrating the world of long-form storytelling, is my friend and co-host, Adam. <laughs> Thanks, Patch. How's it going? It's good. I good. realized that in the middle of this season that we're in with Halt and Catch Fire, I haven't made any kind of quirky intros for you. So I think I'm going to keep that going for this. We may just kind of dedicate it towards certain shows that might make me happy so <laughs> if you don't get some kind of weird intro towards you just keep saying hi and we'll keep moving forward <laughs> all right yeah we are in season one of halt and catch fire as i just mentioned episode five called adventure and i think prior to the end of our last episode as we like to do we speculate on what's going to be involved here and i mentioned the atari game adventure i'm not sure I think there was an Atari game named Adventure, but as we find out in this series, in this season, this episode, it is actually a text-based video game for the, at that time, the modern PC, and uh, that yeah. surprised me. I thought I thought Atari would make its face shown here, and apparently it did not, even if it was mentioned in the last episode as one of the microcomputers that Joe was trying to impress <laughs> on his team. But yeah. alas, I like. I liked the use of this word, the double meaning that uh, that we see kind of throughout the episode. It was an adventure for several of our characters, and I love how the game itself sort of became the crux for a moment near the end of the episode. Yeah, I, I did not see that coming, and I my theory at the end of last episode about this title, adventure, meaning that they were going to go on some kind of field trip or road trip or do a ropes course having a quote-unquote yeah. adventure yeah that was completely wrong so like a team building exercise yeah or exactly like that. yeah they're gonna you know joe is gonna be like, yeah we got to get this team together if we're gonna succeed we got to go learn how to be a team and so he you know piles them into a bus goes off into the <laughs> mountains and has an adventure together that's kind of where my head was i mean it could have been but yeah. this uh, makes more sense with a show about computers. Right. And I was not familiar with a text-based adventure video game for an early PC. I kind of want to know how it's played. And I, I, mean, I could guess, but it, it would be interesting to see if one could recreate that. In, yes. Uh, yeah. Modern modern day if it would be in, if it would still be as entertaining and, and enjoyable or as addictive mm-hmm. i think one of the people characters says it's addictive in this uh in this episode so i'm just yeah i'm, yeah. I'm curious to know i mean just watching them play it it's like hard to see the, the the excitement in it but you know just maybe much like playing dungeons and dragon or dragons where it's all sort of theater of the mind I, it must be like that you know just kind of making up stories and and reading them and imagining and I think part of that is that when we think about this in the present era of virtual reality, augmented reality, hyper-realistic video games, first-person shooters, to think about a text-based video game being that addictive seems a little ridiculous. But at the time, that kind of stuff that we are so familiar with 
didn't exist. And we right. mentioned a little bit of this in the last episode, how we've come so far when it comes to technology that there are no like appliance repair shops for like televisions and VCRs, which don't exist anymore, really DVD players that media and, uh, and hardware is so cheaply made and it's so disp- disposable, disposable. Yeah, so mass produced that it's just, yeah, it, it, if it breaks, you move on. If right. you need a new one, you get a new one. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's sad, but true. Yeah. I was talking to a coworker of mine who recently moved from Arkansas to Missouri and they're still unpacking oh. boxes. And I think his family, they use the Roku stick or the Roku box, one of the Roku yeah. pieces of software. And they still hadn't unpacked, unpacked several boxes. And he was telling me this story in light of the conversation that you and I had about how he looked and looked and looked and couldn't find it. And so he broke down, I kid you not, he broke down and bought, a 4K Roku-enabled television. Oh, geez. it's not like he went to Walmart <laughs> yeah. and just picked up another Roku box. Which those are like only like thirty or forty dollars, I think. Now the little you know mm-hmm. things that you plug in—they're very affordable. So right, I, I'm surpri- I was gonna say he just bought a new stick or whatever it is. You know, little right, little little set-top box. No, yeah. it was a television, and I think—I <laughs> mean, I don't think he was just like, eh. Who needs a box when you can get the TV? No, right. I think he. I, I think in some ways they were looking for a television to put in a room, and right. they were going to purchase one. And I think that's what he kind of knocked out two birds with one stone there. Yeah, if you have a, he had a bigger room, and he's like, this TV is too small for this room. They we really need a bigger TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We yeah. talked about that too. <laughs> yeah, how yeah, it's the room he's going to build out as his sort of entertainment room. Uh-huh. I think he had talked about no less than a seventy-five inch, and I'm like. I have no idea what that experience is like. I mean, <laughs> 47, 50 inch, that's kind of the max for our house. And if I had anything bigger than that, I think it would swallow our entire souls, not just our eyes and right, the right. room. But I mean, it would kind of encase itself like poltergeist where it would just kind of swallow the entire room up and then there'd be nothing <laughs> but the television left. Yeah, it really depends on the space that you're in. If it's a really large room, then a 75 inch screen will be the perfect, you know, uh, decor for that space. And it will fit, if it fits neatly between two windows or something, you know, it all, it all depends. But if it's a small room, it looks like such overkill <laughs> and makes you look like you're crazy. Cause you're like, I need a giant yeah. TV. Yeah. It's, yeah. Can't it fit really through depends. the door. I can't yeah. walk around, but I can watch this TV in all of right. its 4k glory. <laughs> and you're sitting like two feet in front of it in beanbag chair. You're like staring up. <laughs> like Linus or Charlie Brown in front of the television, yeah. their little beanbags. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Don't stand so close to the television. I can't help it. I'm only five feet away. And, you know, if I step any further, it's the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get uh, let's get right into the episode. As yeah. most of these are, if not all, it starts with our cold open. And there is a really cool visual contrast here of Cameron waking up in an actual bed. The color palette here is like warm tones. She's just like, ah, this feels good. Obviously, this is not her apartment because at this point in the show, she doesn't have one. She's been sleeping anywhere but her own place. At first, I thought maybe she finally got a place because she's in an actual bed. But then I 
quickly realized this was like a hotel room. So yeah, unless yeah. she was, you know, using her her new paychecks just to live in a hotel, which I don't know how long how far that would would get her, but yeah yeah i didn't quite know know. what was going on at the very beginning here like in terms of where she was or why she was there yeah we we do find out we find out we find out that she had been shipped off to cincinnati or buffalo or somewhere for vacation Yeah, for it was i think it was uh yeah uh in ohio and i'm just thinking what that's where they send her on vacation can't they send her near a body of water or something you know (laughs) why there (laughs) It's like the cheapest vacation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's not California or New York. It's the mighty city of Cincinnati. I mean, you're <laughs> in Texas, so why don't send her down to the Gulf Coast or something? Give her a little sunshine, a little beach time, you know? Like, come on. it's That's so much farther away, too. It's I don't <laughs> right. quite understand the rationale for... It's uh, cheap. It's just cheap. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's that's the case. Yeah. I mean, Cardiff doesn't have a lot of money at this point. We realize right. that, right? <laughs> But she seems happy. At least that's that's the key. She seemed like she got a recharge. She mm-hmm. she looks healthier. Her eyes don't look like she's been punched in the face anymore because <laughs> she's so <laughs> worn out and right. sleep deprived. So mm-hmm. yeah, it worked. And that's contrasted with Joe, who is struggling to get out of bed. You can see his bruises from where he mm-hmm. got just pummeled. So it's been a few days, maybe a week or so. I mean, he's pretty healed. So I, it, mm-hmm. either he's a remarkable healer like wolverine or something or it's he been is wolverine. a couple of weeks <laughs> schnick you're waiting for yeah. schnick to come out <laughs> except it's a sales pitch it's like yeah you want our computer schnick yes you do that's right <laughs> the tones here are very cold in yeah. contrast to cameron i thought that was a really cool cinematographic <laughs> i don't know if that's the right word but that was a great use of cinematography very very cool yeah. uh, use of color there in contrasting those two scenes. One of the things I thought was really funny was Cameron's in her hotel room, as we realize, and she says, can you get the guy with the French name on it? Yeah, Mr. Concierge. Like she thinks that that's his last name because <laughs> right. she's trying to find, I think, a restaurant or some place that she's supposed to check out. And it's such a great little throwaway line that made me laugh. Well, and it shows how as intellectual as she is with computers, she clearly doesn't have much in the way of sort of worldly know-how and mm-hmm. experience so she's a very intelligent person but not a lot of uh kind of street smarts yeah i'm i'm that way too i think when i was went to the hospital for an accident i had a number of years ago it was the first time i discovered the word triage and i was like what does that uh, mean is it like a trio of people trio of nurses that are going to take <laughs> care of me one's going to take my blood one's going to take my insurance card and one's going to take my money i mean it's kind of right. what they do anyway maybe they just need three people to do that and they all say nurse bomb so <laughs> the triage of people but no it's it's just a it's a function inside the hospital where you're you're being taken care of and mediator of some, of sorts yeah and they're kind of uh de- determining whether or not you need immediate assistance or whether you can be kind of put on the back burner so to speak mm-hmm. while they take care of the gunshot wounds or whatever you know they 
they loser. have to make it I'm more important. Yeah, <laughs> you have to, they have to make that quick determination. Yeah, my tummy hurts. It's better than a gunshot yeah. wound. I, I deserve more. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to go to the hospital for that too. Unfortunately, yeah, I felt really embarrassed when. <laughs> when you find out that it's just gas, yeah, it's just gas. But just you don't gas, think it is. Gas. That's when it's really bad. You're like, this can't yeah. be gas. But then it's just gas. It's just it's like gas, the, and yeah. then you feel stupid, <laughs> and then you feel even stupider when you get the hospital bill. I'm like, really? I had to pay yeah. that much to find out that I was a little clogged. No, a little. Anyway, bloated. we're not going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> Joe attempts to swing the bat in his apartment, uh-huh. and he's struggling. He's got the the injuries, but he pushes through. I love that the last shot of him is. He actually follows through with his his swing. So he is still swinging for the fences, albeit a little bit less powerful right now. Yeah, it's a good moment because it just shows kind of who he is as a person. That analogy really makes sense, too, because he is either going to strike out or he's going to hit a home run. There's like no in between for him. He has to win in the best possible way or he is just going to completely fail and probably go hide for another year (laughs) somewhere before he resurfaces with a new idea. Yeah. Back at Gordon's, it is his father-in-law's birthday. He's coming in after a long night of working at the office. Apparently, Don is used to this. This has been happening for a while, and he doesn't realize that it's his father-in-law's birthday. She tells him, you got him a butter. And (laughs) her mom walks in. I love Annette O'Toole. He loves it. She's so great in this this scene. I kind of (laughs) think she's already drunk in the morning here yeah, she's, i think so too <laughs> had some maybe some mimosas or something that uh yeah she's celebrating yeah she is because it's well her excuse is it's her husband's birthday but the real right. reason is that she just loves to drink so maybe that's right. just <laughs> in the excuse it's all it's five o'clock somewhere that this kind of her mentality <laughs> right <laughs> this is where we get introduced to the company that i think is pronounced kudzu kudzozu I can't remember specific Kazoku, Kazoku. That's okay. who it is. Yeah, I will pronounce them as the Japanese company for the rest of the episode. Okay, it's like Finally Kevin made. Donaldson yeah. is what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to do that as opposed to Hideo Takamini. A little Space Camp <laughs> reference for all you people listening. Anyway, yes. he finds out that this company that his father-in-law is sort of doing business with for his catalog makes these cool little wristwatch televisions. I yeah. thought that was kind of cool. I didn't know those were a thing. And they had headphone jacks in them because his daughter yeah. was listening to yeah. the show with headphones. I'm like, that's kind of cool, actually, for 1983. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> then we're in the Cardiff boardroom, and I really like this scene. Bosworth is attempting to sell the future of PCs to retailers using that great country accent that he has. Clearly, <laughs> he is not a salesman. And yeah. I love this line. He says, Ours has all the same features as the XT, plus, plus, you bonus extras. <laughs> yeah, I would say that. That's what I would say. I would say a few bonus extras. So Bosworth, I'm, I'm right with you. And, and really, bonus and extra are kind of the same word. I mean, they exactly. have the same meaning. <laughs> he has no idea what those bonus extras are, but he's trying to his best to sell. And, and Joe's just standing there. I love, I love his line. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm just a carpet bagger from New York. You know, <laughs> what, what, you're not going to listen to me. <laughs> yeah. But of course they do. I mean, he dives right in. And when he starts selling, I love the posture of how the retailers physically change leaning into Bosworth to kind of leaning over to him. They turn their chairs, they're, 
He's got their full attention. And Bosworth is both so uncomfortable and so mad at the same time. I mean, this is the chess game that they're playing. It's a back and forth that has continued throughout this first season that this is just another move. And I think what I felt for Bosworth is that he knew that he wasn't getting them. He wasn't selling them and that he had to admit Joe's the better salesman here. He needed, he really did need Joe to step in here. There's even that point where he kind of looks over him like, are you gonna, are you gonna do your thing? You know, like, come on. You know, it's like he knew he was, he was out of his league. And then Joe proved him right. He, he hit a home run, right, with these guys. And when he's done speaking, like, all their hands, like, shoot up, you know, like, they have questions for him. Like, they're just totally engaged with Joe and just want to know more. And that's why Joe is successful. He knows how to sell. He talks about that third shelf analogy, which I thought mm-hmm. was kind of cool. And then he mentions that for their PC, this isn't an IBM clone. This is the PC that will be cloned. So there's a, a real great sense of confidence and slight arrogance that I think compels these retailers to listen to him and say, hey, he must be shooting something pretty accurately yeah. if he's able to say that. But of course, they haven't seen the three, three or four episodes prior to this like we have, and they just, right. you know, it's good to be omniscient here. <laughs> he's clearly able to sell them on the future as opposed to, oh, just another product that'll go on your bottom shelf yeah. that might make you a few dollars. But no, he's selling them on, this is the future. This is going to be your top shelf best-selling item. Everyone else is going to try to copy eventually. And, you know, these guys are retailers. So that's what they do is they sell things. So if they're being told that you're going to have a product that's going to change the game, it's going to be the future. I mean, it, it makes sense. You, you, you want to get in on that early. You want to buy inventory of something like that at the cheapest price possible because you're going to hopefully make a lot of money. That's their job. Yeah. Joe's really trying to sell the idea of being an early adopter as opposed to right. someone who's going to be a, a regular participant. And then after the credits roll, we get back into Cardiff, what I call clean Cameron or Cameron who has clearly taken a shower, gotten sleep and changed her clothes and looks less disheveled, looking pretty good, looking ready to start the work week. She's been on vacation. She's back and she comes in and sees a new set of folks in the office did you notice that the room seems brighter than it did in episodes past? Yeah, it definitely felt more full of life and energy. And this could be because of all the new people, or it could have been a sort of strategic lighting move to just add more light to the set to make it feel that way. So yeah. it's hard to know. I would have to kind of go back and kind of look at how those earlier episodes were shot previously when they're kind of in the doom and gloom stage and everyone's getting fired versus now where you're kind of coming into, you know, although for Cameron, it's not good for the rest of the company. It feels like, no, no, we're moving in the right direction. We're hiring people. I mean, it's always, I mean, that's the sad part here is that here you have all these new hires when they just let go, what, 47 people, you know, maybe a month earlier. So that's the unfortunate thing is that they really need to let all those people go. I mean, some of those people maybe could have transitioned over. Sometimes you got to make hard decisions. And clearly she does not like these decisions. I think what I picked up from this is that she was losing a little bit of her individuality. Like I think. Right. She was special before. That's exactly right. Yeah. She looks at this and says, wow, the thing that I created, the thing that I built is now a thing that we're building. She didn't say that outright, but I really felt that from her reaction, especially when she runs into her boss, Steve, the software (laughs) development manager, who 
in her mind, in her eyes, in her everything, says, this guy knows nothing of what we do here. He knows nothing. And we'll find out how little he knows in, yeah. <laughs> in just a little bit. But yeah, yeah, she's definitely not happy with what's with all the changes that are going on. And then we go to the kill room. The boys are deciding on a name for the bios. And I'm going to just say this. I agree with Stan. Name it. Con! <laughs> Way yeah. to go, Mr. Clark. Great name for that. But he gets shot down. <laughs> 1982, so he would have just seen the film about a year earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Very accurate uh, reference there. <laughs> yeah. Very topical for the time. Cameron walks in and says, I built it. I name it. I can't disagree. And she names yeah. it after Ada Lovelace, the first computer programmer ever. Didn't know this. I didn't either. Yeah. Little, little nugget there for us right there. Yeah. And the BIOS appears to work. And we know that because... They turn a switch and a little green light goes on and they all cheer like that little green light. All that work was for a little green light to turn on. Yeah. And they pop some champagne, which really isn't a smart thing to do while hanging around with open electronics. But yeah, we've talked about Cam eating and drinking soda by the <laughs> computer before and now champagne, right? Yeah. By all this open hardware. I mean, it's all like there's no covers on anything. It's all exposed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't seem like. The most intelligent move from a group of highly intelligent individuals. <laughs> Clearly, best practices are not being yeah. like documented here in terms of like yeah. <laughs> document your code and you know save your stuff on floppies and don't degauss them you know with right. <laughs> with electronics and loud music. Lesson learned. Hopefully, yeah, nothing gets hopefully. coke spilt on it or champagne spilt on it. Joe walks in. I don't know what's up his butt, but he seems a little annoyed, and he says. Why are we celebrating? The screen didn't even turn on. And somebody's right. like, it doesn't have a screen yet. <laughs> Back off. Yeah. <laughs> but that was like so juvenile. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Gordon gets into it with Joe and they start yeah. arguing over Joe's like over promising what they can deliver. This great line from Gordon. He says, must be nice to have a job where you get to say words without having to actually do anything. <laughs> Let me tell you, Adam. I yeah. work in an industry where we have business and development guys, and there are days, there are weeks, there are months that go by when I'm thinking, this is exactly who work for us. These are the people <laughs> that, quote, sell a product they know nothing about, and they just say words, and they don't have to worry about the consequences of like their actions or their words specifically. So yeah, I, I feel Gordon's frustration there when it comes to the the salesmen around me, that they're like, oh yeah, we can do that, really? Have you talked to people? Do you know? Well, now you have a quote that you can share with those co-workers of yours. <laughs> <laughs> and you can say, I'm just quoting Halt and Catch Fire. I'm not hey. saying I believe this. <laughs> you, you never hit 100% of the shots that you don't take. <laughs> dash Wayne Gretzky, dash Michael Scott. It's going to be like right. that. I'm going to put like, exactly. I'm going to quote Gordon Clark by putting a dash Gordon Clark at the end of that. There you go. <laughs> I'll put it right next to that quote. There'll be like framed photos of yeah. those two quotes. <laughs> and then you email blast your entire company with that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get blasted with the uh, with the firing letter of like thanks for thanks for contributing thanks for playing thanks for playing maybe you can find a uh, an electric Better company luck to next be a part time of. yeah <laughs> one final observation here before we move on yeah. I think Gordon's wearing a lab coat I can't be sure yeah but I feel like it, he's it looked, is he wearing a lab yeah. coat it did look like he was and I started thinking about that like what really is the point of these white lab coats and 
first I was like, oh, they have pockets. So you could put like your pens and things in. But then I was like, well, wait, maybe it's to keep your suit clean. If you're wearing a suit and doing work, that's going to potentially get grease or chemicals Champagne. on you. Like if you're, yeah, anything. So, yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, you want to keep your, your shirt and tie clean, although the tie yeah. is exposed. <laughs> I think it's just to make them look legitimate. <laughs> They're yeah. like, we don't get any respect around here as programmers. Yeah. Let's, wear, let's wear a lab, lab coat. coat it yeah. up. Yeah. Just call me Dr. Gordon or Dr. Yeah. Pepper because I drink so much of it. <laughs> There's a quick scene over at Texas Instruments next where Donna is still frustrating her boss. And it's just a little little nugget to remind us that, hey, he's, he's still kind of pissed at her. Yeah. And then we, uh, we're back in the kill room where the team tries to make light of the requirement. So Gordon's really trying to motivate this small team of people. When Gordon says, we need to make this 10 pounds lighter, I I admit that I would probably be the guy that says, I want my wife to be 10 pounds lighter. Life is about compromise. (laughs) This isn't a joke, Ed. You know, and not that I want my wife to be lighter, but I would be the guy that would just sort of have that kind of lightheartedness that make light of the situation kind of yeah probably to a fault not taking it as seriously as as gordon is yeah yeah and i would get yelled at and be like you're right you're right you're right and then that other guy's listening to the texas ranger baseball game (laughs) and one of them was throwing darts at like a advertisement for cardiff electric did you see that like there's there was like a oh no i didn't see that uh a little it was such a quick shot he was throwing darts and it just shows a picture of a man like on an airplane and he's working on a computer in a briefcase. And I think it said um, going to work just became work to go underneath. It's like they made like an advertisement for this new portable PC. And I don't know what that's for or who's printing that at this stage (laughs) in the development, but, or if it was just like motivational, like here, look, we're, we're doing a marketing campaign, but like clearly this was at a time when you couldn't work outside of the office there was no way you know there were no cell phones or portable computers or anything so we worked at work maybe you worked a little bit in your home office if you took your work home in a briefcase but this was really selling the idea and that's what they're doing of course is that now you can work in all those places where you couldn't work before you you weren't productive like when you're flying to another city or whatever and it's interesting how that was such the dream at the time and now in our society today we're all about separation of work and family time and personal time mm-hmm. like we need better separation like we went too far <laughs> in making ourselves available and accessible at all times all the time. for work yeah and in a way it was better back then because if you were on a flight across country that was your you could read a book you could relax you didn't have to do any work you couldn't be reached no one could call you or text you it's like we lost something starting here with the advent of the uh the portable pc and it just got yeah. worse and worse and worse <laughs> as yeah. uh, the internet and cell phones came into play. What they don't show you is there's a really long extension cord at the back of that laptop that goes all the way up to the front of the plane and plugs right. Right. In, you know, plugged into the uh, <laughs> the cockpit somewhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the You're draining all it. the power. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have to land because some jerk in 18C is trying to play solitaire on his new laptop. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gordon yeah. is clearly stressed, but I think the stress gives him an idea, and that's to swap out the CRT, the cathode ray tube that we're used to from the early 80s, like televisions. I guess he brought one of those 
watch TVs with him to the office is what we're led to believe because one of the other engineers was watching, I think, a game on it, right? Something like that. He I, was trying. He was either, yeah, either watching the Texas Ranger baseball game or listening to it at least. I caught, or listening. Maybe he was listening to it. Yeah. yeah. And that, of course, upset Gordon that he wasn't paying attention. But then, like all good writing, it's there for a purpose. It triggers his imagination. And he realizes, oh, that has a little tiny LCD screen and it's light and it's small enough to fit someone's wrist. What if we made a screen out of an LCD display? And at the time, that was completely innovative because, as you said, CRTs were everywhere in terms of TVs or computer screens. That's what you used. And, you know, LCDs were reserved for like little watches or calculators or small electronics. Yeah. And Stan's quick to bring up the fact that that's a great idea. It's just really expensive. But Gordon mentions that he may quote, know a guy. And that relates back to the Kazoku comment from father-in-law's breakfast, who, by the way, is pretty excited about French toast for his breakfast. I meant to add that. Oh, yeah. I'd be excited about French toast for my birthday. He got it. Happy birthday to me. (laughs) (laughs) His wife's like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's and right no tool rocks <laughs> that's when i was like yeah she's drunk <laughs> yeah so for sure back in cube city cameron has her own desk among the minions which i don't think she likes she's like i miss my dirty basement <laughs> and being by myself with all my yeah. orange crushes <laughs> we also meet uh, lev and yo-yo two of the programmers who they refer to their group as the short bus because they're being asked to program things that is just very mundane and easy. And like, she's really insulted by it. I think like printer drivers or something is one of the things. Yeah. Something like that. Something that she feels is below her. Right. So she pops in a game and this becomes adventure that we find out and she starts getting harassed by Steve. That's when we get the short bus comment by by the other, I think it's, I think it's Lev. She ends up putting it on the mainframe. She says, Hey, I know it's addictive, but I'm going to put it on the mainframe, so watch out. You know, prepare to lose your time or your mind, yeah. whatever comes first. And, and I love that Yo-Yo says, Are you, is that adventure? I can tell by, by your keystrokes. I was like, that's pretty amazing. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very specific that he understands yes. based on keystrokes to what game she's playing. And I like him. I like I like. Yeah, no, he's, a, he's a cool he, guy. I think she does, too. I think you could tell right, right in this scene that they're going to – Get along well together. So earlier in the episode, I think Gordon's father-in-law tries to get him on the golf course. He said, hey, I've got this new putter. You should come out for for nine holes. And Gordon takes him up on his offer. But there's obviously an ulterior motive here. Right. That he wants to use this as an opportunity to get an introduction to Kazoku. And his father-in-law reluctantly agrees, but with good reason. He said, look, the last time this happened... My daughter got hurt and I can't have her do that again. And Gordon gives good reasons for why he should. He said, look, I'm not in charge. Joe's in charge. He's the visionary. There's a team of people here. I'm a cog in the wheel. And he's really giving him what I think are credible reasons for saying your risk is low at this point. You're not giving money to me for something that is completely unknown. While we are working on something that's futuristic, all I'm asking for is an introduction. And so I can buy that argument. Yeah, I mean, clearly when they were developing that computer earlier in their lives, it was just the two of them, just Donna and Gordon, I think, working as a team. So this is a whole different scale of a project. I think that's what he's trying to explain is that this isn't just me and Donna doing something 
with big dreams and hopes. Like this is this is a real company. And he even says that like Cardiff is, you know, it's a good company. He tries to sell him on the fact that I work for a good company. It's we've got a great team. And he clearly makes a good case for yeah. I don't know if they get along well normally. It seems like there's a little tension there, but he does understand that he needs this and he can potentially make something happen. And I look at this as when you think about Gordon and his father-in-law, I think they both have tension toward each other for various reasons. I think the symphonic was a major one, but I think that even in earlier episodes, Donna's mom said, we know he doesn't lack us for whatever reasons. I think it's because they have money and he doesn't, maybe he resents that. I don't know that it's been fully explained, but the tension here I think is played well in Mm -hmm. that it's a business transaction. And if there's anything that comes from this, Gordon can stand on the fact that Cardiff is the one endorsing this. The company is endorsing it. And I think that's what sells his father-in-law on it, that it's not Gordon's idea specifically. Yeah, it's or, not a side project he's doing in mm-hmm. his garage by himself. It's yeah. it's actually being developed by Cardiff Electric with yeah. a great leader at the helm. And that's, I think, like you said, what ultimately wins him over. And then back at Cardiff, Debbie, the secretary, gives Joe a message from his dad, which is a surprise. Two things that were a surprise. One, that we are getting introduced to his dad for the first time. And two, yeah. that Joe is not taking his own phone calls. Again, I'm thinking 2022, 2023, whenever you're listening to this, the future where somebody's <laughs> calling me directly on my cell phone. I don't have a secretary. I'm a manager of people. And yet people are walking into my office, asking me questions, calling me, texting me, messaging me. Those days are, well, I don't say those days are gone. There are admin assistants, but I'm not important enough to have one. So... <laughs> I, I just, I love the fact that he actually has messages from right, his secretary right. that he can then at will say, no, no, maybe, no, you know, kind of a la Roy Kent. And he doesn't have to make the call. He can just tell her what, what to do. You and he call does. them. You call the hotel. <laughs> and Yeah. And he tells her that. He says to, to call him to meet at the lobby bar where he's staying. And there's mm-hmm. a really cool music change here. It's kind of ominous. So we know that this is not going to be a happy meeting between the two of them. If it happens at all, which it doesn't, but whatever. Yeah. And then we go to the hotel. Joe goes up to the entrance, then to the window, like he's some kind of creepy stalker. He sees his dad, and then he leaves. <laughs> yeah. And it makes me wonder if that was all on purpose. Did he set up the meeting or have Debbie set up the meeting just so that he could kind of stick it to his father and like basically make him wait, waste some time of his afternoon? Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it kind of feels like something Joe would do because he, he went out of his way just to go see that he is in there waiting. And if you notice, his dad keeps looking at the men coming in the room to see if it's his son. Yeah, there's clearly some bad history here. We don't fully understand what it is yet. I started wondering if those scars on his body were somehow from his father, not from being pushed off a roof by bullies as a child. I, I, <laughs> I don't, you know, you just, your brain starts going to weird places, but clearly there's There's something beyond just the normal father-son tension that might exist between a lot of uh, people. I think there's something much deeper going on here. And let me just say that this would be a great start to an advertising commercial for the new Cardiff laptop that while you're waiting for your son to stand you up, you can enjoy checking your email on Lotus123 with your new Cardiff laptop. (laughs) Coming soon. It should be called the Cardiff Briefcase. That's what it should the be briefcase. Called. Yeah, and, and again, if you go back, pause on that shot where they show a quick shot of it, and it literally is a briefcase on like the uh, tray table 
with a computer inside it. So <laughs> they clearly haven't worked out the sort of design aspects of it yet. Yeah. But. Can't get the aesthetic right just yet. <laughs> right. Someone said, draw a man with a briefcase with a computer in it. And they had someone illustrate that <laughs> for this. Done. Photoshop. Yeah. Done. That didn't yep. exist yet. Never mind. The ex- whatever <laughs> the uh, whatever the equivalent of Photoshop was at the time, an actual MS paint. No, an yeah, actual fo- there. you know photography lab where you like airbrush the photos. I would gather, you know, <laughs> right? Graphic designers are so expensive because they had so much work to do for so little. <laughs> right. <laughs> then we're back in Joe's office, and and he gets into a fight with Gordon about scheduling the client meeting without telling him uh, or without him. And right. this is with. Uh, Sudoku. See, I can't do Sudoku. it. It's, it's not Sudoku. Gosh, that's terrible. The Sony. Japanese client. Sony. No. <laughs> Let's call it Sony. No, no, we're not going to do that. No, they mentioned Sony. We can't because they mentioned Sony a little that's later right. in that meeting. So, Kazoku. It, it Kazoku. does exist. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call it the LCD company. Japanese okay. LCD company. Japanese LCD company. Too long, but it's easier that's... to remember than Sudoku. Kazoku. Kazoku. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, and Joe ends up coming around uh, when there's an opportunity to use LCD screens. He makes the comment that IBM doesn't even use them. So he kind of says, all right. And then he does a little course correction with regard to the meeting location. He says, look. Change the reservation to Woodson's. Japanese don't come to Dallas to have a shrimp cocktail dressed up like a sushi roll. They come for steak. He tells Gordon at the end, uh, good work. I don't know that he's actually like saying good work. I think he's like reluctantly good work. And I'm thinking he's going, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> yeah. I think Joe, in most cases, wants to be the one with the ideas, the one that's saving the day. And if he, if it's not him, you know, he's always a little kind of annoyed, even if he can admit, you know, that Gordon did some nice work here. He's just brooding a lot in this episode. Adam. I think that's I think kind of what I'm That's the issue. Up. Yeah. It's, I think it's all largely due to his father, but some other factors as well that he's just really distracted, I think, is what Mm -hmm. I could say is that in this whole episode, he's not fully present in any of the meetings that he's in. He's just a little, a little distant. Back in Cube City, Cameron is very impressed with Yo-Yo's coding skills. He's created a smiley face for the printer. Yeah. Which she says just does text. Yeah. She's like, it only prints text. And he's like, oh no, look. And prints a little graphic so she's and she's, she's she impressed. likes that yeah yeah so he invites her to the quote kcyd car <laughs> thing which i don't know what yeah. that is at this point in the episode no. and also to dinner afterwards so she's right. like sure maybe yeah and the whole banter between cameron and steve is one of the highlights of this episode for me they are just jousting back and forth there's like these power plays he says no need to get your panties in a wad oh I'm not wearing any panties, but you can stick that in your flow chart. Because he talks about <laughs> signing off when she's done. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And all this, all this banter would be such a red flag in a modern workplace with HR. They would both be in, both of them, be in so much trouble <laughs> for all this language. And it's just so funny how they're just kind of, doing it and no one cares they're just saying what they say (laughs) oh my gosh i'm just laughing thinking about it it's good though yeah it prompts her to go into joe's office where she's like you gotta fire that guy and brooding joe really dresses her down by giving her legitimate reasons for why she wouldn't be a manager she's like i could do a better job than this guy and he's like well 
don't swear at your superior, especially with an open door. And Joe refers to the relationship as, quote, this thing we've got going on, which prompts her to take his apartment keys in order to get her stuff. So I guess they're breaking up. And I had no idea that they were still doing this. I had no idea they were a couple. Like when she said to Donna in a previous episode, you know, I'm sleeping with him. I thought she was just mouthing off. Like she was trying to create this power play. But clearly, no, they are having a liaison, but we've not seen them together. Yeah, it's like we're just supposed to assume that since they didn't show them breaking up at any point previously, that they just were continuing on as they were until now. Obviously, this is clearly a sticking point for her and she wants out. She's deciding that she's no longer going to put up with him. So I guess there's that. (laughs) We move to the restaurant. Gordon is hilariously trying to explain to Joe how to handle the greeting. The scooping there, he does such a great job in this moment of just being the naive pseudo salesman. He says, I read that they don't expect Westerners to bow, but you're supposed to receive their business cards with both hands. It's a sign of respect. I've been to Tokyo nine times. Yeah. (laughs) Then they walk in. (laughs) Yeah. And and this is funny because this is back when business cards actually meant something. It's like so interesting to see how in this whole episode, there's several scenes where business cards play an important role. And I, I just find that really interesting because, yes, people still get business cards, but it's more of a formality now. You don't really use them as a way of sort of introducing yourself anymore. I remember when I got my first business cards at Apple like back in 2002, and it was such an amazing thing to see my name next to the logo. I was like, oh my God, look at this. And I could give that to people when I see them, like, yep, here you go. It just doesn't really happen anymore. It's just not yeah. necessary. But back yeah. then, that was not just with Japanese businessmen, but with you know, everywhere. It was a big yeah. deal. Can you imagine in the cinematic world, if there was an exchange between Japanese folks and Mark Zuckerberg and... <laughs> He handed over his business card. Yeah. <laughs> just no, that wouldn't <laughs> be great. And then they read it. They're like, what? What? What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly that would not, that would not fly no. in 1983 or wherever we're in. At this point, Joe realizes how they were actually able to get the meeting. So up to this point, he thought that Gordon had just kind of pulled some good strings. He knows people. Gordon alludes to the fact that, you know, you, you meet people in this industry. <laughs> well, you meet your wife's dad and (laughs) (laughs) your wife's dad gets you the meeting with these people and i think there's like a half grin on joe's face he's like yeah "Mm, yeah. got me gordon good job that was good okay (laughs) and this whole the scene made me think wow like gordon's father-in-law must be really great at what he does to command this much respect from these two businessmen. And I guess it really comes down to money. If he's making them a lot of money selling their products in his catalogs, then yeah, they're going to do a favor for him and have a dinner with his son-in-law because money talks. Money does talk in multiple languages. So the language barrier is clearly not an issue here when it comes to the dollar. (laughs) They have a yen for this technology. Anyway, sorry, that's Uh. (laughs) not going to go there. All right, we are back in Joe's apartment where Cameron is getting her stuff. Joe's dad is in there. I asked myself, how did he get in there? And I know it's explained that the doorman let him in. He says, you say something with the right authority, you generally get what you want. But I don't know how these apartment complexes work. Do you have a doorman and then all the apartments are unlocked? 
Like there are no locked doors to the individual apartments because I'm still wondering how he got a key into the actual apartment. He got into the apartment building. Most apartment buildings, at least in New York, the doorman will have a spare set of keys for each for an emergency. Like if you lock yourself out, like you say, you go to your dorm oh. and you say, I've lived, I don't currently live in one, but I've lived in dorm and buildings and they will have a key, which you then can use, you can borrow, you can like check it out and go get into your apartment. And if your key is in your apartment, you get your key out and then you run the key you know, back to the doorman to put back like in a, a locked okay. box, you know? So it could have been that, or it could have been that the doorman walks him up with the key and you know lets him in and then closes the door and go takes the key back downstairs either way is possible but yeah well that definitely fills in the swiss cheese holes for me thank you for that yeah it's just in a high-end you know apartment building like that the doorman probably took him up and said oh you're you're uh mr joe's father okay sir you know come with me you know i'll I'll let you in yeah well i think it's alluded to that he says he's joe mcmillan and maybe the, the apartment building's so you know he shows him his id Right. This is where we realize that I live here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that Joe is a junior. Joe McMillan's a junior. Right. They both share the same name. And I think that's how he was able to get in with that authority. He wasn't lying about his name. But the fact that the doorman probably sees a ton of people and he knows Joe McMillan lives in this apartment. So, you know, flashing him his ID, I think, just sort of put two and two together. And I guess that's how he got up. So he starts kind of schmoozing Cameron. Mm -hmm. He wants her to stay and have a drink. And he does this whole bit about how he's going to be on like a 20-hour flight with Bill Gates. Right. And he needs some yeah. like liquid courage. He calls her the Ada Lovelace of of, that, their, of her generation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's really using flattery to get try to get her to stay and sort of join him. He has an ulterior motive of his, of his own to kind of find out more about his son and what his son is up to and get her to open up. Yeah, and he does. He convinces her to stick around for a little bit. And then at the restaurant, uh, we see that Gordon is clearly loving his cocktails. I think he's on his, what we find out later, his third uh, martini or whatever it is. But he's having a good time with the drinks. <laughs> yeah. He he touches the Japanese rep on his shoulder. Oh, and you yeah. can tell the Japanese guy does not like that. Yeah, his expression is priceless. You just see yeah. him like almost like tense up. And look at him just with such disdain. You know, he, he's like, what are you doing? Why are you touching my shoulder? <laughs> you know? It's like, you've just yeah. invaded my personal bubble. It's clearly a, a not a good sign for where the evening is going. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Gordon really kind of, in the same way that, that Joe is schmoozing Cameron, he is schmoozing the Japanese. He's like, let me check the weather on my, uh, on my television here. He's holding one of yeah. their things. And they're, they're laughing. Joe steps in and makes an offer. Low mm-hmm. margins on the front end, profit on the back end. That's kind of a good deal. I think that's kind mm-hmm. of win-win for both. This is interesting. This time, this is sort of parallel to that pilot episode where right. Joe's going in for the sale. He's, he's closing. This time, Gordon shuts up, and the deal gets made because Gordon shuts up. And he- so he <laughs> learned something from that first sales meeting that he had in the pilot episode. And Joe learned something as well, which is that Gordon needs to stop drinking. And so he hands yeah. him water and says, easy, yeah. as the scene ends. Yes. Good job, Joe. You are responsible on some levels. <laughs> yeah. Although I think the damage has already been done. He's already had way too much. But yeah, I think uh, Joe's recognizing. And I think Joe's the kind of person, too, where he would never get 
allow himself to get drunk because he needs to stay in control. He needs to be of his own faculties and mental. Yeah. And yeah, he's just not going to allow him to, to lose his edge in that environment. Yeah. Back at Cardiff, it's night and everybody is playing adventure. All the coders are. <laughs> this is just, just, just a lot of fun. I love this quick scene. This scene really took me back to a time, I think it was 1994, and a group of my friends in my hometown, I was in you know, ninth grade or something, we went to the local university where there was a big like state-of-the-art computer lab, and we installed a game, I think it was Marathon, and we had a local area network, which is really all you had back then. There was really no internet yet, so we were able to have like eight of us all basically running around, you know, killing each other in this game in an early 90s video game on a computer. And it was amazing because you had your own screen, but you were screaming and yelling at all your friends. And it's like, again, today it's so normal. Like you were saying earlier, this is just something you do. But at the time, it really was an amazing concept to have your own screen that you were running around and doing something, and but you were networked to other players in that local network. And it was like the coolest thing I ever had seen. And so this kind of the energy in the room in this scene reminded me of that, you know, just that feeling of being able to share in a gaming experience with a lot of other people in the same room like that. Yeah. The gag here that I thought was so much fun is Bosworth coming out and you think that he's mad, like he's working late and he's like, right. what are you guys doing? And so he, it's almost like he's calling one of them to the principal's office and then he says, no, everybody get in here. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. is he going to yell at them and dress them down? And then we find out that he's playing adventure and that he's stuck at one part of the game. And so right. one of the coders comes in and starts helping best. him out. I thought that yeah. was great. And it just further shows that Bosworth is really trying to get into all of this high-tech computer stuff that he knew nothing yeah. about previously. But he's like, no, I'm. he's going in. He's trying to be one of the guys and just be part of it. And it's addictive, as yeah. they all find out. Mm -hmm. Back in the restaurant bathroom, Gordon uh, touches the guy again. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I physically felt myself, like, wince when he did that. Because, like, what are you doing? Stop it. Don't touch him. Like, it just, what? I almost yelled at the screen. <laughs> and, it, and it's one thing, touch a guy's shoulder at dinner. Yeah. And that's a reflex, you know, if you're used to, you know, hey, you know, tapping a guy on the show, like, hey, man, this is great. Yeah. Very much something that, that I would do when appropriate. Don't do it in the bathroom while you're no. standing next to a guy at a urinal. Like, don't even <laughs> talk to the guy at the urinal. That, that's just bad bathroom etiquette. If you can find another urinal that's like at least one <laughs> stall between you, right. do that. Yeah, he goes right up next to him. Yeah, that's yeah. never It's like he's ready to put his arm around him and saying, hey, <laughs> let me just tell you about my father. I love you, man. Jerk. <laughs> and this conversation, even without the touching, kind of sends the whole thing south. Because yeah. he is bashing his father-in-law. He's really trying to kind of ingratiate himself to the coding side or the the creation, the builder side, as opposed to the sales yeah, that side. Yeah, they and, have something in common that they're both like art, more artists than they are businessmen. You know, they don't care about money like the other guys do. In his head, in his drunk state, he's clearly trying to connect with this employee from, what's it called? LCD sound system. <laughs> yeah not sony <laughs> yeah not sony company from japan uh yeah, yeah. so it's just it, it it was it was a rough scene to watch because you just yeah. you could tell he's totally gonna tank this deal in this scene you just know it's coming like you you can sense it yeah and he does back at joe's apartment 
the conversation with Joe Sr. triggers some daddy issues with Cam, and then she leaves to, I think, go to the bathroom or the bedroom, but she leaves the room. There's no flashbacks. It's just her and she leaves. It's just real quick that, yeah. okay, something's happening, something with her dad, a military guy. Did he not come back? We don't really know. It kind of sounds like uh, I think Joe Sr. guesses or suggests that maybe he died in Vietnam when she was 10. I think he says that, but she doesn't confirm that. She just kind of leaves. Yeah. Yeah. And, but we do find out one or two other little things, such as the fact that Joe Sr. worked at Big Blue or IBM with his son, with Joe, and he's been there since 1945. That's a long time. I mean, it's 83, so yeah. And that he first got into computers, I guess, while in the Navy during World War II, and that's how he kind of got affiliated with IBM. And, yeah. uh, and Cam also apparently in this scene, we find out, got a job offer from IBM, but turned it down. I think that was the conversation that they had outside the mall when they thought she thought she was getting arrested for shoplifting oh, right. men's clothes. And they said, hey, right. we've got a proposition for it. I think that was the job offer. That was it, yeah. So back outside the restaurant, our theories are confirmed. Apparently the Japanese picked up the check, which indicates that the deal is off. Joe says, Nothing says don't trust us quite like bad-mouthing your own father-in-law. Gordon is clearly drunk and is just ready to fight, it seems like. The way that they argue, Adam, is so childish. Gordon says, I'm not the one screwing cuckoo for cocoa. Beef like that's not gonna blow Let's up go in back our to face. the workstation with the rest of the grunts. What? I'll fix this in the morning. With what, Joe? Your words? Donna was right. You're all hat, no cap. Why don't you build a computer with Donna? Oh wait, you tried that. Like this yeah. is playground banter. This is something yeah. that I would say at like ten years old. Like your mama. Like this is what yeah. that feels like. It's just very childish and stupid, and also true. Like. All those statements are very true. <laughs> that Gordon clearly failed at building a computer with his wife. And that, well, at least at this point, uh, Joe is, is having a, a nice intimate relationship. No, he's not anymore. <laughs> but he was. <laughs> right. Donna's on the phone. She's at home. And she's making peach pies, I think. She's talking to Gordon. Yeah. And she doesn't really seem interested. Like, he's visibly upset. He's talking to her. I think he's looking for a little bit of sympathy. And she's like, Gordon, I got to go. I'm making peach pies. And he's still talking. And she hangs up. <laughs> oh, she, yeah, she literally hangs up. She goes, Oh, honey, I've got pies in the oven. We can talk more about this when you okay. get home. Okay. Yeah, I'll... Like he's just like still talking. He's like, well, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, he's, he's freaking out and she just has no interest at all. Like she's just done and just hangs the phone up while he's <laughs> mid sentence. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't seem like things are going super well for them right now. Well, when you're coming home at like 7am, not buying yeah. putters for your father-in-law and realizing right. that it's his birthday, that's probably an indicator that you're not connected with your family that much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, then Hunt calls, and she wants to talk to him. Like, her demeanor changes, which I thought was really cool. By the way, I'm going to apologize right now. Her name is pronounced Carrie Bechet, okay? Carrie Bechet, if you're listening, we apologize profusely for butchering your last name. I think I said Bishy. Yeah. Bishy, Bijou, Bijois. No, it's Bechet. Not Bichet? Not Bichet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, Carrie Bechet does a fantastic job here with her posture changing. You can see how she kind of wants to talk to him. I saw something interesting visually here, and I might be reading way too too much into it. There's a close-up shot of Hunt's hand with the ring. So he's, he's married. He's got the phone in his left hand, and he's talking to her. It's really close. And then he's talking about business. And then when he goes in to apologize for the way he's been treating her, he switches hands. Mm. And I feel like there's like a metaphor there, like, hey, I'm ready to cheat on my wife now because I'm kind of attracted to you. Because we kind of pick up on that a little bit. He does a little peach pie. I love peach pie. And I'm like, you're a sicko if you're doing this. Stop that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm getting Melrose Place vibes here because currently my wife and I are watching that. And I'm like, this is, this is Melrose Place all over. And... We don't need this. I need Gordon and Donna to be together. They need yeah. each other. We don't need Hunt in her life, but clearly he thinks that her peach pies are, are worth saving a slice for. That's and so right. he asked her to do that. And, <laughs> and and we also, I think, were led to believe that they knew each other in high school. Maybe they had a thing. Maybe they didn't. And maybe they just had crushes on each other. We don't really know. But it does seem like at one point Donna's mother made a comment at some point in an earlier episode about hunt as if like he was the one that got away kind of mm-hmm. yeah like yeah. he was a more successful wealthier prospect for yeah. her daughter so it seems like this is sort of picking up perhaps where things may have left off 15 years earlier maybe i don't know exactly how old they, these characters are supposed to be but it's a tough scene to watch because you kind of see where it's going it's the first step go. Where yeah, where it's the first step in that direction. And mm-hmm. the question, of course, is will either of them kind of act on it or will one of them and the other one refuse or will they both succumb to their desires? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I hope not. Like you said, I, I like her and Gordon. I think that they're a good family and I, I hope they uh, they don't throw in a, a twist like this just to mess up their marriage. It's We're good. hoping for the best. Planning yeah. for the worst, but hoping for the Rooting best. Rooting for, for them to stay together and not have any problems. Yes. Gordon, because I guess he didn't get the love that he needed from his wife and support, he decides to go over and confess to his father-in-law that he screwed up in the drunken state. Yes. His mother-in-law uh, <laughs> whispers as she is kind of handing the door off to her husband. She goes, he's drunk. And <laughs> I'm like, you would know, lady. Yeah. You would know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Drinking at eight in the morning or whatever. Anyway. <laughs> I love you, Neto Tool. I really do. Um, (laughs) Then back at Joe's apartment, Joe Sr. describes how Joe Jr. got his three promotions. He he says he took them. And he goes into this little story about how he convinced the guy who was over him that he was going to be let go. I don't really know all the details. He like told him he was going to be fired and suggested that he might just want to resign before. It's like breaking up with someone before they break up with you. Yeah. I feel like he, he kind of manipulated this older gentleman. I think he said he was there. He was at the company for 20 plus years and got him out of the way by getting him to quit. So clearly yeah. Joe's good at manipulating people and getting them to do what he wants. Yep. And Cameron picks up on this. She's kind of like like father, like son, where yeah. she throws that line back in Joe Sr.'s face. If you say something with the right authority, you genuinely get what you want. Right. And uh, yeah. Joe Senior says, oh, he kind of goes, oh, yeah. you're a smart cookie, smarter than we than we thought there. Yeah. And he gets up and before he leaves, he leaves his business card with her, which is such a weird thing. He's like, he puts it down on the table. And I think he says something like, for when you figure out who Joe really is or something. And I'm 
just like, wow. Like Again, business cards. Uh, this episode was brought to you by our sponsor, business cards, <laughs> because business you're cards. not in business without a card. <laughs> I just did made you, that up. Do, do. <laughs> I think she would have been more convinced had he handed it to her with both hands, you know, and she'd received right. it with both yeah, hands. Yeah, and said, here, accept my card with two hands. Yes. And then we can go both work for Sudoku if we want to. <laughs> It's a numbers game, that Sudoku company. That's right. <laughs> I did it. Here come the dad jokes. <laughs> oh. Back at uh, Gordon's garage, or his house, we're in the garage, yeah. Donna right. plays some classical music. I don't know that we knew that she played classical music. Yeah, she breaks out like an old keyboard, like electronic. Yeah. Is it a symphonic? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that's not the symphonic. <laughs> I think you you pointed this out to me that it really doesn't look like she's playing here. It's not a very good angle. Yeah, the, I'm listening to her play and be all up in it. And you know, Carrie Bechet, as much as we love her, she's just not doing the mime routine <laughs> like we need to. I mean, but it's partially the angle. I feel like the shot, the angle that they chose, like the wide shot, you see too much of her hands and where they actually are, and it doesn't look like she's playing. They should have picked a different angle. Well, if you listen to the music specifically, yes, I, I agree with that. And the the specific issue is that when she hits the high notes, she doesn't bring her hand higher up to the keyboard. So it's like right. she stays in this middle area to the low right. area. Her hands are like, too close together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They should be moving yeah. you know, up and down the keys much more aggressively. And so she gets lost in the music because she doesn't have to play. She's just kind of miming it. <laughs> Gordon sees her. And there's this ominous music that plays as he's watching her. I don't know what this means. I don't know if when she played classical music, she was a different person, that she was in love with a different guy. I'm not really sure. I I honestly do not know what to make of this scene, what it's trying to tell me. Here's what came into my head was that she used to play music like back in high school. They said she was in the band. I remember that. She was part of the high school band so maybe that's when she last had a passion for music and again maybe she was dating hunt back then when she was playing music and maybe gordon knows this so he's kind of putting some pieces of the puzzle together thinking oh she hasn't played that keyboard in 17 years back when she was dating hunt or something i i again maybe we'll find out i'm completely grasping at straws here but it's just what my brain does when i watch scenes like this well it's good to grasp i'm gonna let you grasp for the both of us i might be right i might be wrong i was wrong about the ropes course about the team building adventure course (laughs) but this i might be right about this (laughs) yeah so the next day we're outside the hotel joe saves the day by throwing the quote dad taught me everything approach Mm. at the japanese folks here which is kind of true but not good for other people. You know, it's one of those things where, because we know who Joe is, we've now kind of discovered who his dad is. He taught you everything of how to manipulate people, how to get promotions by taking them as opposed to earning them. So we are saying you are speaking the truth, Joe, but it's bad truth is what it is. And the Japanese are like, yes, this sounds good. Take another business card. No, they don't do that. But (laughs) they, they make amends. At the same time, we kind of find out that this is the same hotel that Joe Sr. is staying in because right. the camera either cuts or pans over to the lobby where Joe Sr. is reading about Cardiff in the Wall Street Quarterly, Quarterly. The Wall Street Journal. 
complete with a photo of Joe from high school, I guess is what it looks like. Like it's a very, very much like, is this a senior photo? Cause it kind of looks like a senior photo. It's a, it's a cheesy picture of Lee Pace. And I think he was glad to take it for, for funds. He's like, Hey, we're going to put this in this yeah. prop. It magazine. might even be like an earlier photograph of him, you know, like a headshot or something from a few oh, years awesome earlier. It was. Right. <laughs> you never know. So yeah, that, uh, that I think was kind of a good setup for, what happens next at Cardiff Electric. Steve is uh, putting up a poster of the greatest American hero. Uh, okay. I mean, do you, man. Who are your heroes? That's who your hero is. You know, I vaguely remember that show as a kid, and I think I loved it, And I, but I can't really remember what it was like really about. Like, I just know that I thought it was cool when I was five, six years old. I remember the but. theme song, and that's about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Believe it or not, I'm yes. walking on there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good song. Good song. Don't stop. Don't. I'm not going. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to throw this in post and have the, the song. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I want your interpretation of it. Oh, no. No. You Even get enough better. interpretation on these episodes. You don't need my interpretation of songs anyway. <laughs> and <laughs> he's told to stop by Cameron because he's just been fired. And this is what you alluded to earlier. Cameron shows Joe how what he's doing isn't working. She references this thing called Brooks law from an essay of a guy with the last name Brooks called the mythical man month. This actually was a thing. I looked it up and the way she described it was, was true. It's this idea that when you throw more resources onto a project to try to complete it faster, you actually slow it down. She makes this connection between that and the coders And he goes, all right, then how do you know who the best coders are? And this is the most amazing part of the episode. She basically weeds them out like Gideon, like God did with Gideon, where he has his army and he weeds them from like tens of thousands of soldiers down to like 500. She says, To play an honest game, you have to be good at solving puzzles. But to cheat, you have to be great at solving code. She basically figures out that the coders, the ones who actually broke the game in order to get out of certain situations were the ones she wants on her team right they found back doors to solve the various challenges within the game and everyone else played by the rules and they weren't cut out for the work ahead of them apparently according to her them and steve and so they were all fired (laughs) so steve's time at cardiff was short-lived well and it's funny i think i've said this before but i when i watch the show i often will watch it with subtitles on and in this scene, she says, oh, also, I'm taking over Steve's job. And I thought, hmm, that's a little nod to Steve Jobs. Because you see it written nice, out and you're yeah. like, Steve's job. And I was like, oh, what, why are they mentioning Steve's job? It's like, oh, no, Steve's job. Could be just coincidence, but little it also kind of like feels it. like in this show about the world of computing, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was intentional. We can just say so that I, this episode mentioned both Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Steve's Steve's job. job. (laughs) Steve's job. Not Steve Jobs. Not Steve Jobs. Close enough. We're okay with that. Maybe that's his original name. It was Steve's and last name Jobs. (laughs) Steve's Jobs? Like Uh, plural? (laughs) How many jobs do you have, Steve? (laughs) Don't ask. Just think different. All right. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah, it was a, I think this is a very important moment also for Cameron and Joe because he clearly hired all these people while she was away, thinking that was the best approach. But she proved to him 
that she is capable of being an upper management person. This was also perhaps another test, maybe, to see if she would rise to the occasion and figure out a way. Again, I don't know if it was all part of Joe's master plan that he has, but I do wonder if this was his way of getting more out of Cameron, of making her step Mm -hmm. up and show that she has more than just a kind of gift for coding, but she actually can be a leader as well and get other people to follow. Yeah, and I think that... I think the fail would be if she fired everybody and said, I can do it myself. So I think for him, that was a little growth moment in that Mm -hmm. she recognized that she does need a team, but she needs the right team. And she has to vet them, essentially. And that was her way. Using Adventure, she kind of vetted the key players that she's going to need. And now she won't fight with them because she trusts them. And she knows that they're capable of doing what needs to be done. So yeah. It's, yeah, it was a really clever way. And now, of course, we know why, as that title of the episode, is Adventure, because the, this this little game played such an important role in the future of yeah. Cardiff Electric. I'm guessing there won't be any more flowcharts that will be need to be checked off <laughs> with her. <laughs> well, then we're in the kill room. The team is cheering on Gordo, Gordon, Gordo, for closing the deal. Joe comes in and he's happy for like four seconds. (laughs) Now he's back to brooding because he doesn't like that he is taking credit for what Joe did. And in my notes, I put, but did he? Because Joe starts throwing Gordon under the bus by telling this whole story about, yeah, you got wasted at the restaurant and then you insulted the Japanese. And then I had to come in the next day. And before he finished, Gordon says, stop. I hate to bust your bubble, but you didn't save a damn thing. Gary did. After I went to his house and asked him, no, I begged him, got down on my knees to convince them to reconsider. The deal was done before you ever got to the hotel. Joe just kind of leaves in a little juvenile tantrum, doesn't say anything. And so I had a couple of observations here. One, I'm wondering if there are going to be repercussions with Gordon's father-in-law for stepping in. I feel like there was a deal that was made that we are not right. privy to off camera. Like we didn't really see, there's a reason we didn't see that interaction because clearly extreme lengths <laughs> were taken by Gordon to get his father-in-law to help him out of this jam. Yeah. And we don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to point out, did you notice Gordon's hand shaking at the I end did. of that scene? Yeah. I, d- I thought that was either one of two things. I mean, he clearly is, this is the next morning, so he's got to be hung over. But also, is it the first time he's really standing up for himself or for, I, I mean, but not really because he, like you said, he groveled on his knees to his father-in-law. So he really had to put himself in a degrading position to fix the problem that he solved. I, I kind of just thought to myself, Gordon's having kind of a day. <laughs> As he as yeah. he likes to say, I don't know what to think of that. It just yeah, it seemed atypical. My only thought at this point is that he was nervous because of the fact that he had to confront Joe. But I mm-hmm. have to go back to the scene earlier where he makes that snarky comment about being a salesman. That he's not afraid to talk to Joe in a mean way. No, he's stood up to Joe at many occasions in the first five episodes. This isn't really. I think the difference here is what he had to do with his father in law 
and maybe the ramifications that might have with his marriage. I don't know. Like, it seems like there's something else that's going to come back to bite him down the road. Yeah. That, that's kind of yeah. what I'm getting. Not with Joe, but with his family or his yeah. in-laws. Yeah, there's a there's a point of tension here, and I think it's yeah. coming from multiple places, both with his in-laws and with Donna and potentially the kids. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that plays out. Joe is sulking in the boardroom next, and then Cameron comes in and confesses that Joe Sr. was in the apartment. Mm-hmm. These last two scenes, Adam, I, I really just have questions about yeah. what's what's going on with Joe that felt like that scene, he was surprised maybe missed an opportunity to talk to his dad, like, or he didn't like the fact that he was in his apartment. I don't know about that. And also perhaps that he probably doesn't like the fact that Cameron and his father interacted. You know, he doesn't, he wants to keep those two parts of his life separate and probably nervous about what either of them learned about the other. Because now his father knows something about Cameron and Cameron knows stuff about him from his father. You know, it's just, it's too much information being sort of leaked into uh, different parts of his life. He seems like the guy who wants to compartmentalize things, keep true people separate. And then we're at the car lot for that, quote, KCYD car thing that was alluded <laughs> yeah. to earlier. It's essentially a car smashing scene. You get for like $5. five dollars. You, yeah. you get to take a swing at, at yeah. this Japanese car that I'm like feeling bad for. He's like, that's a nice car. <laughs> I like that car. Why so much hatred? <laughs> yeah. Well, America, that's what it is. <laughs> America in the South. And so Joe pays a hundred bucks, which gets him 20 swings, I think, if I did the math right. He may have had a few extras, maybe, but uh... <laughs> I probably did. I mean, he, he took the bat to it. He, he swung for the fences as he. Yeah, is, I don't uh... know if anyone was counting the swings, but yeah, he was uh, hitting that thing with all his might and i just kept mm-hmm. thinking is he kind of hitting his dad here like is this like his way of taking out his anger on his father there's again more than meets the eye with with joe and his past yeah and he gives a cameron a look as he's finishing up yeah she looks at him there's no smile there's just kind of this look and i just asked myself what are they thinking and i left it there i wasn't trying to even speculate or make theories but I love the mystery of Joe McMillan that yeah. he has a past. We're hinted at it. We're introducing more of his past with his dad. And it makes me excited about how this is all going to play itself out when it comes to his role at Cardiff Electric with his relationship with Cameron, with his relationship with Gordon and Bosworth. I love the ensemble cast. And I'm not going to say that he's the key figure, but this season, I think it's coming about him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't think to a point where he's the guy, but I think as we talked about last episode, it was heavy on Donna and really giving mm-hmm. her a chance to shine. This, I think pressed a little bit more forward with his character, which I thought Boz was nice. wasn't in this episode that much. He's actually the first person to take some swings at the car, which is great. But yeah, I think that last look that Joe and Cameron exchanged that what I kind of took away from that maybe is that maybe they're not done yet there might be more to their relationship, you know, because in this episode, Cameron was attempting to kind of cut the cord and be like, I'm done with you. You know, well, obviously we're working together on this project, but our relationship is over. And I'm seeing that look imply that she might be more like Joe than she wants to admit that maybe they need each other. 
in a way and can gain a lot from one another, not necessarily romantically, but just from proximity to one another. Yeah, I just think that there's more to that relationship and that dynamic than what perhaps they want to believe. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, what that's, I a, that's a good observation. Yeah. And that'll wrap up this episode of an original series. Great conversation as always, Adam. What do we have coming up next? Uh, we're up to episode six called Landfall. And I didn't read a description, but I saw that it was written by Zach Whedon, who is the half-brother of Joss Whedon. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Just, I noticed maybe that. Maybe we'll get some Avengers in here, maybe. <laughs> At least. <laughs> I don't, had I Avenger. Zach Avengers. Whedon had any involvement with Avengers, but... Um, That's true. Uh, <laughs> he might have. I mean, hey, he might have been like a script doctor or something on it. Yeah. I don't, who knows? But. Hey, Josh, could you put in my favorite Avenger? Is that cool? Could you yeah. include him in this movie? Can yeah, we type this double-spaced? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a tech writer for the for the so, movie. Josh yeah. is like, you want to be in this movie? Yeah. Here, take this script and double-space it. Dead comment. <laughs> so, take all the Times New Roman and make it Courier, please. <laughs> <laughs> don't use a computer. Don't use a computer. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. Landfall. I'm not sure what that could mean for the episode yeah but we will find it's not out land fall is it like local area no work fall like, like land l-a-n-d i mean okay. that would be interesting if it was referring to a local area network no i, I believe i i read it correctly land fall like if you're on a ship and you're maybe so in any case i'm excited i don't as i know you are <laughs> yes Thanks, everyone, for tuning in and joining this conversation. I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here.